the Humanitarian Hub podcast, the place for the latest trends in humanitarianism at SOAS and beyond. Episode 5 of the Humanitarian Hub podcast recorded here at SOAS Radio. We are releasing this podcast alongside the Humanitarian Hub blog in order to highlight the debates, research and current issues surrounding humanitarian work globally. Hopefully it will give some insight into the types of topics that will be discussed and covered in SOAS's new MSC, Humanitarian Action, which is a two-year online master's beginning in October 2019. Now, last week I spoke with Dr. Claudia Seymour about her latest book, The Myth of International Protection. It was great to chat to her and hear a bit more about her extensive experience of working as a child protection actor within the Congo uh, and then her subsequent PhD research, which she has amalgamated into this fantastic little book, which is available now. If that sounds at all interesting, please do go back and have a listen to episode four with Dr. Claudia Seymour and any of our other podcasts which have covered students and academics alike. But this week I spoke with Ellen Goodwin, who is a first year PhD student who is taking part in some research in collaboration with SOAS and World Vision UK. Her research is within the field of religion and development, which was something we discussed at length to try and learn a bit more about this large and growing field within development studies and also how religion is starting to fit more and more within a humanitarian context and humanitarian understandings. In particular, her research covers local interreligious cooperation as a way of building resilience in fragile contexts. And Ellen and I discussed the ways in which local religious actors uh, have and can be used within humanitarian contexts to try and improve both peace building, resilience and the impact of humanitarian emergencies. It was very interesting to hear what Ellen had to say about what it was like working with a large charity like World Vision alongside trying to produce academic work that both interested her and she felt was relevant and important. She raises the challenges of working with such an organisation and also the many benefits that it can offer. In particular, going forward, she highlights the importance of humanitarians partnering with different actors uh, in order to provide better services in different contexts. And one area where she sees this as being hugely important is working with local religious actors and as you might imagine, they often have very integral parts into communities at all levels in lots and lots of different contexts. And taking this further in, in, and looking at interreligious cooperation as, a, as another way of uh, building cooperation, resilience and reform in areas where often humanitarian problems have existed for, for decades. It's something that we often forget, the fact that religion interacts with people's lives at so many levels and therefore it interacts with humanitarian principles and humanitarianism at all levels. Uh, and getting Ellen's views and very thoughtful ideas that she's starting to bring into her research about what the role for religion is in humanitarian work was really fascinating and opened my eyes to a lot of things that I had not really considered before. Uh, so hopefully this will provide a really interesting insight into maybe an area of humanitarianism that you might not have thought about as much, but is certainly an area which Ellen hopes, and I think probably will become, a very key part of humanitarian work around the world. So here is Ellen Goodwin. So could you just give us a bit of a brief overview of your background and also how you came to take part in your research at SOAS? Yeah, so 
my background academically anyway is actually in religious studies. So I did my undergrad at the University of Leeds in French theology and religious studies. Um, and then I went on to do my MPhil at Girton College, University of Cambridge in World Christianities. Um, and I guess I've always been really interested in religion and religious studies generally, but there's always been a kind of tension between that interest and wanting to do something that had kind of a real world impact. And um, not that religious studies doesn't, but there are other kind of disciplines associated with that that I felt were more kind of inward looking than religious studies and that led me during my undergrad to do quite a lot of modules of kind of religion and one of which was religion and development with Emma Tomlin who um, is really cool and um, then I stayed in religious studies for my MPhil um, and World Christianities was looking at Christianity outside of Europe and North America um, and looking at the different ways that people live and embody their faith um, and I wrote my dissertation on women, HIV and AIDS and the Ethiopian Orthodox Tewahedo Church. And I think that that was a very kind of influential masters for me because it's impacted how I study religion today, looking at kind of lived and embodied experiences as opposed to kind of textual based things. And then towards the end of my MPhil, my friend actually sent me essentially a job advert saying that you probably couldn't write as good a project for yourself if you'd tried. Um, and she was probably right. And that was the PhD that I'm doing today, which was already outlined. Um, it was part of the UCL Bloomsbury and East London Partnerships doctoral training programme funded by the ESRC. Um, and I interviewed and got the position. And then the research council thought it would be a good idea to round out my religious studies background um, by doing the MSc in research for international development here at SOAS which was really useful as well because um, moving from a religious studies department to a development studies department was actually a much bigger change and um, much more different than I would have thought and that really led me here. And picking up on that, what was the main differences you found coming into more of a development studies-based yeah. programme as opposed to your, your religious studies background? Yeah, so I guess, because um, obviously I'm researching religion and hum development, humanitarianism, peace-building here, but I guess what was most striking was potentially the lack of religious literacy within development studies um, today because the field of religion and development is relatively well established now kind of for the last 20-30 years it's been growing and I think coming from a religious studies department it almost goes without saying that religion is really important to people all over the world that it interacts with all sorts of real world processes and then coming to a development studies program even one that is kind of really interesting quite nuanced and I guess, radical in terms of other kind of development studies departments. The lack of kind of consideration of religion, the fact there's no real kind of religion development modules, there is there are, is really useful and interesting research coming out of the development studies department and religious studies department at SOAS, but not necessarily a huge amount of teaching specifically on religion and development. And just the kind of sweeping generalisations that people would make about religion in terms of development that coming from a religious studies background would be a bit jarring. So I guess just the kind of lack of interest and potentially lack of nuance in how religion interacts with development was interesting. But then on the flip side to that, being in a religious studies department, there's potentially a lack of understanding actually of the realities of kind of development practice as well. So that's why I think it's quite interesting coming from a religious studies background to development studies 
to research religion and development because I think I've got kind of an interesting position kind of between both camps to do kind of such interdisciplinary work. And that leads us on quite nicely to your research you're undertaking now. So if you could maybe explain and contextualise what it is your research covers here at SOAS now. Yes, I guess broadly my research fits under the kind of umbrella of religion and humanitarianism. Um, But more specifically, I'm looking at, and I'm about to drop a lot of buzzwords here, but the role of local interreligious cooperation as a cohesive foundation um, for building transformational resilience in fragile contexts. And lots of those words that I use I will be interrogating in my research because I'm not sure all of them are the most useful. But I'm doing a collaborative PhD with World Vision UK. And so some of the terminology is kind of has to be shared um, across the sphere of academia and practice. So that constrains me somewhat. But I guess to give a little bit of an introduction to kind of the context of this project and where it fits in more generally, it kind of fits with the realisation that humanitarian crises are becoming more frequent, complicated and protracted and the international community has kind of acknowledged its failure to keep pace with the changing nature of humanitarian crises and that's led the international community or the formal humanitarian sphere to look for a new way of working in order to more effectively deal with humanitarian crises and because the majority of humanitarian crises take place in fragile contexts, there's an kind of an emphasis on doing this um, in the kind of unpredictable um, situations um, that fragility causes. And this kind of renegotiation of what humanitarianism is has led to the international community engaging with a wide range of actors, um, particularly with an emphasis on local actors and those from the global south and actors across the humanitarian development and peacebuilding nexus as well. And it's kind of the hope that through partnering with different actors, humanitarian interventions will be more adept at dealing with the unpredictable realities of humanitarian crises. And kind of alongside that, there's an increasing recognition of the fact that religion is interwoven with humanitarian development and peacebuilding processes at all levels. And the humanitarians, the kind of formal humanitarian sphere, has acknowledged that it would like to engage more with faith actors or religious actors to make humanitarian interventions more effective, but they don't quite know how to do that. And one of their recognitions is that interreligious cooperation dialogue is um, an important step in doing this, and this has come about with a proliferation of interreligious and multi-religious organisations on the ground, but there's a sparsity of evidence as to where, how and why interreligious cooperation would be effective, and that's really where I come in so yeah I want to look at how and why it is effective and how external agents can support the work of local interreligious action in an effective way. And I think we might just pick up there on on World Vision who (laughs) you're working alongside just maybe to tell us a tiny bit more about the work they do and how it's been finding that interlink between as you were saying between academia and the actual practice on the ground which sounds quite interesting but also at times quite challenging yes definitely and there are definitely opportunities and challenges that come with doing this kind of collaborative phd but this is something that kind of is applicable across kind of the sphere of academia particularly in development studies where there is this kind of desire to partner with development organizations humanitarian organizations and peace building organizations and world vision's a really interesting organization it's christian it's a faith-based organization quite explicitly so and they do 
they are traditionally more associated with kind of development work and they're often in communities for a very long time which is obviously means that they have kind of a long-term strategy of kind of improving with the long-term and development aims and they do work with um local faith actors they work with local religious leaders a lot they have some really interesting programs called channels of hope and they have channels of hope for gender channels of hope for lots of other different areas and that's working with faith leaders to kind of change attitudes and behaviors in communities and they do work um kind of with faith leaders of not just christian christian origin as well and they're looking to kind of moving with the humanitarian arena more generally they're looking to work more in fragile contexts and acknowledging the difficulties of doing that so they're kind of interested in this research and collaborating with it so that they can learn from or hopefully learn from what i um, see in the field as to how they can make their kind of fragile context program approach more effective and yeah it's definitely very interesting there's lots of opportunities because the fact that they already work in lots of these contexts, the resources and their knowledge as well. They have kind of knowledge hubs and they do do a lot of really interesting research at World Vision um, UK and World Vision International as well and in the national offices. And um, But obviously there are challenges because you kind of have multiple stakeholders in the project that essentially is my PhD and trying to keep everyone happy, negotiating what context to do the research in that would be interesting for me and also useful for them and their work going forward. But I think in the end, it will be a really kind of mutually beneficial relationship and it definitely brings a whole other dimension of the kind of external faith-based organisation, which because external kind of international major faith-based organisations are an established part of the humanitarian architecture already. So how international faith-based organisations and the international humanitarian community more generally engages with and supports hopefully local um, communities and local actors in kind of building their resilience is something that I'm quite interesting interested in so I guess my research kind of sits in the space where as local as possible and as international as necessary meets and I'm looking kind of through a faith lens or religious lens at, at that. And you touched quite a lot there on on carrying out your own research and talking about uh, going into the field so it would be interesting for us to hear how you're planning to carry out your research, what type of research you're, you're looking to do. Yeah, so um, the plans are still developing for, for this. Um, so um, lots of the kind of particular details on how long, where exactly, when I'm going to do the field work it are still being negotiated with World Vision. The kind of national offices of World Vision are relatively autonomous, so it's kind of making sure that... I'm not disrupting their work and that, you know, they can kind of accommodate me and things. And But I'm doing my research, hopefully, in Ethiopia. I'm interested, is that people are always surprised when I say Ethiopia, bearing in mind that I'm looking at fragile contexts. But one of the things that's come out increasingly through my desk-based research so far is that there's an emphasis on fragile states and that's mainly through the way that fragility is measured and conceived of which is through kind of predominantly aggregations of quantitative data and that overlooks lots of contexts where there are significant pockets of fragility but that the fragility may not be statewide and so Ethiopia is a good example of this. There are kind of pockets of fragility, whether fragility is the right word is another debate and whether I should use another word like insecurity or something is still something I'm grappling with. But I'm interested in countries with 
pockets of fragility because I think that they are overlooked. But the reality for people living through those kind of um, crises and stresses in those countries, I mean, the realities are, are very similar. So I'm looking to do my fieldwork in Ethiopia um, and I'm doing a case study because there's very little, as I've mentioned, empirical evidence about interreligious cooperation at all, really. It's very hard to find anything. It's often said that kind of interreligious cooperation and dialogue is important. It's positive for development, humanitarian and peace building aims, particularly peace building. But like I said, the empirical evidence for that is um, very sparse. So that's why kind of a single case study is what I'm planning to do um, through a mixed methods approach. So I'm hoping to do a kind of community wide. And again, the specific location and what community I'm doing that in is still being decided, but with through like perception surveys and then community based and semi structured interviews with religious leaders as well as kind of key informant interviews with world vision staff as well so that's that's the loose plan at the moment but yeah things are still being decided and worked out at the moment and, and we discussed earlier the the kind of interdisciplinary field between religion and development that you've said has, has been around for a while but actually at times is often quite absent from development studies departments and in practice so I, I think it would be interesting if you could just tell us a bit more about this idea and how the two disciplines come together and also think a bit more maybe on the ground about how a deeper understanding about religion can perhaps make humanitarianism and development more successful on the ground as it were yeah it's interesting actually because obviously my research is looking at the humanitarian development and peace building nexus and this idea that for kind of more effective humanitarian strategies we need to bridge these divides to deal with the basic needs of people living in fragile contexts, but also trying to tackle the underlying causes of fragility and those kind of long-term development aims and obviously peace building as well in terms of conflict. And each of those disciplines has its own relationship with religion, its own history with religion and the disciplines have kind of developed separately in terms of how they approach the study of religion. But Development is probably, development studies is probably the most far along in its kind of establishment of relationship with the study of religion. It's relatively well established now and there are lots of kind of sub-disciplines of religion and development as well. So one that I've engaged with before is kind of religion, gender and development. Humanitarianism, and which is I have kind of since joining, so I shifted from a more development studies focus to humanitarianism specifically, but drawing on literature from development studies and peace building and conflict studies as well. But that seems to be following a very similar trajectory to development studies, but is a bit further behind. And this is probably due to the adherence to the humanitarian principles of neutrality, impartiality and independence, which lots of humanitarian agencies continue to adhere to quite strictly. And all these renegotiations going on in the humanitarian arena, not all humanitarian agencies would happily go along with broadening what humanitarianism is and who can legitimately be involved in it. So I think that these kind of fears that religion threatens neutrality and impartiality in particular, which are not unfounded because religious actors tend to be partial, politically embedded. They're often actors responding to humanitarian crises, but also victims themselves. So these worries are valid. And similarly, religion, religious actors don't necessarily adhere to the humanitarian principles as their standards, but 
there might be other principles that they might see as just as important or more important, compassion, sacrifice, solidarity, things like that. So these kind of tensions within the humanitarian sphere are legitimate in terms of how they engage with religion. And that's why I think it's taken longer for humanitarianism and people studying humanitarianism to engage with religious actors. But religion is unavoidable, well, in my opinion, is unavoidable in when you're looking at humanitarian processes. It shapes people's worldviews, it um, affects the choices they make, the choices they make about their development, about their community's development, at the community, household and individual levels, spiritu- spirituality, religion and faith play major roles in how many give meaning to the world themselves and their decisions. Personal motivation, it's kind of part of the complex um, formation of cultural um, and individual identity it's interwoven with conflicts although probably ambivalent to it it is often can fuel violence but it can also act as a source of kind of reconciliation as well so I think it's completely unavoidable and that doesn't mean it's necessarily unanimously good or bad for humanitarian processes I think that religious actors expressions and forms can provide certain opportunities for more effective humanitarian action but can also um, present kind of challenges to more effective humanitarian action and what we see at the moment the world the kind of after the world humanitarian summit in 2016 there were or in the lead up to that there was kind of an engagement with particularly international faith-based organizations and world religious leaders in the kind of two-year consultations running up to that and more widely that seems to be the kind of level of engagement of the formal humanitarian sphere with religion which I see as quite narrow and instrumental because I think that religion interacts with humanitarian processes on all levels and so I think that though at the moment, because there's that kind of lack of engagement and a lack of religious literacy in terms of kind of what forms religion takes. It's not just international faith-based organisations, but there are kind of religious actors on the ground. They're, they're often first responders. Faith remains a kind of crucial part of the experiences of lots of people facing the trauma of humanitarian crises and also informs the worldviews of lots of humanitarian agency staff as well. So I think that religion religious actors, religious expressions, religious forms are all really important considerations for good and bad in terms of humanitarian processes and the lack of engagement with the variety of different expressions means that religious actors, expressions and forms are a source of untapped potential for making humanitarian interventions more effective but they're also a source of kind of undetected challenges because religion's already interwoven with these processes so not to engage with them kind of leaves, leaves that out of everything. And finally, why do you think today it's so important for people to be studying humanitarian principles and practice, talking about humanitarianism and and trying to situate it in interdisciplinary contexts as well? Yeah, so I think it's a really exciting time to be studying humanitarianism because like I've mentioned, kind of in 2016, there was the World Humanitarian Summit and since then there's been lots of accords and agreements and the UN has set out its new way of working in 2017. So the humanitarian arena is kind of at this critical juncture where it's acknowledged that it's failures in the past to deal with the changing nature of humanitarian crises and acknowledged that it wants to find a new way of dealing with them, particularly those in fragile contexts and I think that 
through with kind of then engaging with different actors and quite radical and bold claims to reform. I think that there's this kind of ongoing negotiation about what humanitarianism is, who can be legitimately involved in it. And I think that's really interesting because I think to study humanitarianism now, we're studying kind of a a complete overhaul of what humanitarianism is and I think that's really interesting and exciting and I think that there needs to be an interdisciplinary focus on how we approach humanitarian kind of studies and practice today because of that broadening out um, to engage with different actors, actors at the local level and kind of from the global south more generally as well. So in terms of religion, because <laughs> I feel like that's the only one I can really talk about with any kind of knowledge or authority, I would say that through broadening out and being able to engage with different actors, different local religious leaders, religious expressions, religious forms, will help us hopefully be able to acknowledge the kind of realities of lots of people facing humanitarian crises for whom religion, spirituality and faith is a crucial part. So to to give an example, mental health and psychosocial support has become an increasingly important part of humanitarian interventions. And it's increasingly acknowledged that lots of people say that spiritual support for them is just as important as physical support. So there's been a lot of work of trying to engage with religion in various forms in order to make kind of mental health and psychosocial support more part of a mainstream kind of humanitarian intervention. And that obviously draws on lots of different disciplines, psychology, religious studies, humanitarianism, development, all sorts. Ironically, the mental health and psychosocial support kind of guidelines are notably secular, which is problematic because it kind of denies lots of the experiences of people going through trauma as a result of humanitarian crises. But I think that that is just one area of humanitarianism that it needs an interdisciplinary approach if you are to fully get a comprehensive and holistic view of what's needed to make humanitarian interventions in fragile contexts more effective. Ellen Goodwin, thank you so much. Thank you. The Humanitarian Hub podcast, the place for the latest trends in humanitarianism at SOAS and beyond.